It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Welcome to another edition of Dirt Radio. Hello, my name is John Langer. Dirt Radio is broadcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, where sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. This month, the Lockbegate Alliance is celebrating a particular milestone. It's 10 years this June since Lock the Gate began its campaign work, taking on the fossil fuel industry and challenging what was shaping up to become an unchecked juggernaut of mining for coal and coal seam gas. Georgina Woods is the New South Wales coordinator and spokesperson for the Lock the Gate Alliance, and I spoke to her by phone about those early days of organizing and how Lock the Gate has become not just an environmental campaign, but a significant national social movement. Most people listening to Dirt Radio will probably know Lock the Gate, but just to give us a, a little bit of a start, tell me about Lock the Gate. What is it and what does it do? Well, Lock the Gate is a, a movement as well as being an organisation and it's a, a sort of a, an alliance of people around the country who uh, come together because of their shared concern about the impact of unconventional gas and coal mining uh, on things that people value, their, their water resources, um, in agricultural lands, culture, um, the social fabric of rural areas. So it's, it's quite an extraordinary sort of um, place of collaboration and cooperation, I suppose, between people from widely different backgrounds uh, who, who see the damage that mining does um, to things that, that we hold dear. My understanding is that it is a national organisation and it has a huge number of members and groups all around the country. Yes, that's right. So we do have um, you know, hundreds of member groups all around the country as well as individual members. Um, and there are also hundreds of communities around the country who have gone through the sort of painstaking process of declaring themselves gas-filled free. So it's very much a, a grassroots network um, um, as well as being a, a national charity that sort of supports that network and, and provides um, advocacy and research and, um, you know, leadership um, when needed to help communities fight the impacts of unconventional coal and gas mining. Lock the Gate it currently is celebrating its 10th year as a campaign. And as you've said, it's a campaign which probably can legitimately be called a social movement at this point. It seems like a good time to look back and review some of the history. How did it all get started about 10 years ago? Well, interestingly, Lock the Gate sort of began in two places at once. Um, it was a bit of a sort of a resonance, I guess, a, a convergence of issues um, in southeast Queensland, in southern Queensland, where coal seam gas um, was being proposed and, and starting to um, roll out um, in the farmlands uh, of the Darling Downs and the Western Downs. And uh, environmentalists and farmers there got together and had a meeting to, to talk about that, you know, that industry and the risks that it posed. And at the same time, um, in the Hunter region, uh, wine growers and farmers and conservationists who were concerned about the expansion of the mining industry into farmlands and the impact it was having on water um, also got together and had a had a, an initial meeting to talk about working together. Those two uh, sort of collaborations both happened around the same time in 2010, 10 years ago, uh, and out of that emerged 
um, this this idea of of locking gates to mining companies and keeping them um, off country. Uh, and you know, it, the movement really just took off from there. Um, but it was those two twin threats, I suppose, of coal seam gas um, and you know an unprecedented sort of increase in scaling coal mining. Um, and that's why ever since then we have worked on both of those issues um, where they come up: unconventional gas and coal mining, because that was really our genesis. Mm-hmm. And over the ten years, uh, was there a particular campaign moment that really stood out as a major success or achievement? Now, to to use a, a bit of an overused uh, analogy, I'm thinking something along the biblical proportions of David and Goliath uh, in 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 its scope and implications. In other words, tell me about something that uh, it really was a kind of David and Goliath kind of confrontation, and where there was a, a potentially a win. Well, to be honest, all of all of the battles that we engage in have a little bit of a David and Goliath about them, because um, the mining industry tends to be rather influential and, and uh, you know very powerful in its money and, and political connections. But I suppose the most you know the the, the sort of standout example of that is the um, Northern Rivers region of New South Wales, where um, over a period of years uh, communities undertook this gas field free process of um, surveying people road by road, community by community, to declare themselves gas field free and commit to each other that they would share their defence of their region and protect each other if the gas companies came. And that, you know, that campaign over several years culminated in the blockade at Bentley, just outside of Lismore, in 2014, where thousands and thousands of people were turning up every day um, to defend the Northern Rivers um, from Metgasto's plans to to begin exploration up there. Um, and that movement was so overwhelmingly powerful and so uh, deeply embedded in the, the whole community of the Northern Rivers that the New South Wales government ended up cancelling Metgasto's licence and um, the, you know, announcing their policy that they wouldn't go ahead with any unconventional gas in the Northern Rivers region. Have there been since that time, have there been other campaigns that are, have been similarly successful or have, have, have had that kind of dimension to it? Well, we do tend to have a fair bit of success, to be honest. It's quite, uh, I mean, you know, there's a, there are a number of terrible, sad losses along the way. But um, in Victoria, obviously, the, the incredible campaign by communities um, and Friends of the Earth in Melbourne um, to stop the unconventional gas industry um, that led to the ban on unconventional gas in Victoria, you know, was an enormous success um, and very hard one. Um, that also, you know, led to a moratorium on, on onshore conventional gas as well, which um, the Victorian government is in the process now of lifting. So those communities are again sort of facing the threat of gas. Um, but the ban on unconventional gas, you know, is a great success won by communities all over um, Victoria, particularly in the southwest, are there any other examples that that you that would be stand out for you um, over the last, say, few years, for example? Well, we were very excited last year to um, succeed in in helping the people of the Bylong Valley and the upper reaches of the Hunter Catchment um, on the western side of um, the Greater Blue Mountains World Heritage Area to stop a coal mine um, that was proposed in that secluded little valley. It's a very beautiful place to buy Long Valley. Everybody who goes there is wowed by gorgeous landscapes um, and rich and fertile alluvial soils. And there was a big open-cut coal mine proposed for there. And 
we worked with the um, local landholders and uh, managed to get the New South Wales Planning Commission to to refuse permission for that mine only um, bit less than a year ago. So you know we're very pleased to get that success, and it, it's testament really to the um, I suppose changing attitudes about how much people are willing to sacrifice for the mining dollar um, and the value of working together, which is really the the fundamental philosophy of Lock the Gate. You know that we we work with anybody and always encourage and find ways for people to find common ground um, to protect the things that they love from the impacts of mining. Now, if we're taking a bit of a historical perspective to lock the gate, there's also, we need to look at some of the trials and tribulations. What's the toughest thing to confront in order to keep people engaged in the campaign work and keep them being positive despite the setbacks? Well, I suppose uh, it's, it's very tough um, when these damaging industries have a strong foothold uh, in a regional area and, you know, they tend to expand out from where they begin. We've seen that happen in Queensland and, you know, people who have been affected by the coffee and gas fields in Queensland, you know, get uh, get really overwhelmed by the industry's continued expansion. Um, and, you know, it, it it's very difficult to stop new gas fields in Queensland and, and people on the Western Downs have been trying valiantly to do that um but it is very it is very hard hard yards emotionally um and financially up there similarly the you know the communities at Ackland um in southern Queensland in the Darling Downs who've been fighting the new Ackland coal mine stage three expansion for a decade um and just having successes you know having political parties promise to protect strategic farmland from coal mining and and stop the expansion of the mine only to have those promises wound back um, and, and to have to continue fighting. And they're, they've fought all the way to the High Court now. Um, their battle against that mining project is now going to be heard in the High Court. So that's really a, a testament to their endurance. But, gee, it, is really, it really takes it out of people to have to fight so very hard uh, to protect groundwater and, and farmland from mining. I presume also that there's quite a lot of, if you're talking about going to the high court, there's quite a lot of expense involved as well. Would that be right? People in you know rural communities who are faced with the threat of mining do often spend huge amounts of their own money um, and raise money in their communities to pay for experts and pay for lawyers and um, you know spend money travelling to the capital cities to to try and lobby politicians and and get their voices heard. So. You know, it can it consume a great deal of money, but it also just consumes so much time and emotional energy. It is, it does take a lot out of people, and I think that's where Lock the Gates' philosophy of of community supporting each other really comes into um, really comes into it. Because if you're alone fighting against a mining company, it's you know it's so easy to be beaten down and, and lose hope and, and despair. But if you have a movement around you and the backing of your community and other communities around the country, then, you know, there's a great morale booster there and it's, it, it becomes easier to carry on. So I, I guess what, the other thing I'm, I'm sort of thinking about in, over the 10 years is, is that uh, this community building is, is a really important thing as part of, I guess it's, it's almost a, perhaps an unintended consequence of, of the way of your approach is that you do create these very strong bonds within the community. Well, that's one of the things that I've learnt. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a job working for Lock the Gate and, and working with communities around New South Wales. And, you know, one of the extraordinary things that I have learned in the eight years I've been working for Lock the Gate 
is that this work and this struggle, even when it's not successful, adds immeasurably to the sense of connection um, that people have with each other and creates new friendships and bonds that you know between people that really you know might otherwise never have met or, or not felt that they had a lot of common ground it, it brings people together across the political divide and across social divides and it really does hmm. you know it really does add to the um you know to the to the good in society to to undertake this work together in the way that lock the gate does Look, this is just something I'm thinking as as you're talking about this sort of stuff. Why why don't why doesn't the political class take account of the, the kinds of things that you're talking about in 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 terms of their decision making? Well, Australia, uh, you know, has the reputation of being very unimaginative when it comes to its economic activity, and because we are blessed with all of these. Um, energy resources particularly um, and um, natural resources generally, you know, we've tended to sort of rely on exploitation of natural resources for our economic activity and, you know, mining is an enormous part of Australia's identity about who it is as a country and, and what, what, it, what value it contributes to the world. And so it is, you know, it's very difficult for governments to, to break that chain on their imagination about it, about who we are as a country and what we do. Um, and the mining industry has an enormous amount of political power and economic power in this country. Mm. And that's why it's so important for communities to band together because there needs to be a counteraction to that power um, to sway the balance in favour of the interests of future generations. So I guess, I suppose governments need to be reminded continually that they're there to serve people, you know, not necessarily corporate interests. You're with Dirt Radio, and I'm talking with Georgina Woods from the Lock the Gate Alliance in New South Wales. And we're discussing some of the history of the movement. Back with more after this. Throughout the month of June, 3CR is running a station appeal. We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it. But if you can... Head to 3cr.org.au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR Station Appeal. The uh, Lock the Gate Alliance is a national grassroots organisation. You're made up of more than 450 local groups across Australia. I'm wondering about how the organisation works in terms of connecting all these groups together. Have there been organisational strategies that have changed over the 10 years that uh, the alliance has been going. Well, it's very important to lock the gate um, that we, you know, remain grassroots. Um, you know, we are now a national charity, and um, you know, I suppose it would be easy for us to break that connection with the communities that really created this movement and have driven it from the first. And so, we try very hard to, you know, structure our work so that it remains regional and it remains local. Um, so we bring groups together in regional alliances, um, that, you know, where there are local groups who are advocating for their local area, but then they come together with other groups in their region, like the Wide Bay in Queensland or the northwest of New South Wales or the Midwest in WA, and they form a regional alliance to kind of help and share information and, and, and share the effort um, of the work together. And Lock the Gate puts in a great deal of work to, you know, coordinate and facilitate those alliances to to make individual groups stronger by, um, 
by facilitating cooperation and, and shared work. One of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the questions that I was going to ask you was, it's been 10 years. I'm wondering about the role of social media in the way that the this organizational structure kind of works. Has that been a factor in the way you've been looking at things and doing things? Well, we are a very distributed organization and a very distributed movement. I mean, un, unlike, um, you know, a lot of Decision-making in Australia, you know, Lock the Gate is, is regional primarily, um, not based in the capital city. So it is important for people to stay connected to each other. And lots of people in our movement use social media to share stories and information with each other um, and, and talk about the issues that are affecting them. That's, that's definitely a feature um, of this movement. Let's, uh, let's work our way up to the present. And as I understand it right now, Lock the Gate's having to engage in some devastating coal and gas projects on three fronts. One is in the northwest of New South Wales, one's in Bundaberg in southeast Queensland, and one's in the Northern Territory. Could you briefly talk about each of these and uh, how Lock the Gate's been involved? Um, well, um, up in the Wide Bay region, um, there are a network of groups um, who have already succeeded um, in getting um, gas exploration licenses cancelled over their area. It's a real success story of, um, of people forming coalitions and alliances and you know, managing to protect what is a, a food bowl um, region for Queensland um, around Bundaberg and the Wide Bay Burnett. Um, and they have moved on from that success to establish the Plan to Grow campaign where they are calling on um, the political parties in Queensland to formally protect um, mapped priority regional areas and priority agricultural areas, strategic crop and environmental areas from coal and gas mining in perpetuity so that you know farmers and regional people can get on with investment and, and hard work to grow food um, without the threat of mining hanging over them. So I encourage your listeners to check out the Plan to Grow campaign. Um, it's building a lot of positive momentum in Queensland. Um, in northwest New South Wales, um, it's really the sort of the last area where the coal seam gas struggle um, has concentrated in New South Wales. The New South Wales government, um, as I said, cancelled licences in, in the Northern Rivers region, cancelled licences over the Sydney drinking water catchment and in urban Sydney um, and in the Hunter region where the wine um, growing industry is. And the northwest is, is the sort of last cluster of coal seam gas. Um, threat for us in New South Wales and farmers and conservationists in the northwest have been working together for more than a decade against the proposal to mine for coal seam gas in a place called the Tuliga Forest which is an outcropping of the southern recharge of the Great Artesian Basin the largest temperate woodland um, in eastern New South Wales it's a very important place for Gamilaroi traditional owners um, culturally um, and environmentally and so a, a really broad coalition of people have been fighting against the industrialisation of the pillager for coal seam gas. And that fight is coming to a head next month um, mm. as the, the Independent Planning Commission is asked to consider whether to grant approval to Santos for an 850 well production gas field there. So people who are interested in helping out on that, um, we have until the 10th of July to register um, to object to that, to speak at the Planning Commission's public hearing. 
um, and we'll be encouraging everybody to register to speak and to make submissions to support those communities um, in seeing off that gas bill once and for all. And what about the Northern Territory? I understand there's some a lot of interest in uh, fracking, but there's also a lot of opposition as well. There is really broad opposition to fracking in the Northern Territory. Um, we just released some polling recently um, that was um, commissioned for the Protect Country Alliance up there um, that showed that eight out of ten Territorians don't want fracking and do want renewable energy instead. So people have been, you know, working in coalition across the Territory against fracking for a long time and the current government lifted the moratorium um, after the fracking inquiry and Origin Energy have been moving ahead with their plans to explore for um, shale gas in NT, which is a very water-intensive, unconventional gas, which always requires fracking um, and is putting you know, water resources at risk in the Territory. So that, that coalition is, is still working hard. And, and in fact, around the country, um, Origin has become particularly the focus of a campaign because they're a company that sort of, you know, claims to have um, a climate change strategy and, you know, has invested in renewable energy in the past and really it's not fitting for them to be, um, you know, engaging in this dirty industry in the Territory when Australia should be moving towards a renewable energy future. Now let's finish up with uh, a bit of a lock-the-gate prognosis. We're in the, a situation right now where the current government's talking long and loud about the post-COVID recovery and they seem to be putting gas and coal in front and centre in that recovery. Some of the states, as you've talked about it, some of the state governments are seem to be following on a parallel track. What's what do you think the biggest challenge for Lock the Gate is in the in the next say twelve to eighteen months? There is a real push um, by the Commonwealth government, particularly, to open up the countryside. Um, to gas, and, and generally these days that means fracking. Um, onshore gas will tend to be unconventional gas these days. And it is a real threat because the Commonwealth seems to be much more interested in taking advice from corporate you know, corporate interests that have you know, commercial interest in the exploitation of these resources and aren't really um, holding the public interest and the interest of rural communities as their primary consideration. And then locking the, the public out of those processes, you know, setting up select advisory groups to, you know, progress the interests of the gas industry um, over and above the interests of the people. We've heard, you know, the recommendations that, you know, if we want to deal with climate change, we really do need to take the next six months as a, as a pivot point for the global um, problem of climate change. And Australia has a really important role to play in that. We, we, ha- we are at that crossroads. So we're very concerned that, you know, under the cover of responding to the COVID-19 crisis, the Australian government will really kind of lock this country deeper into um, the mining at any cost approach. And we think that approach, you know, will leave us um, a terrible legacy if, if we don't stand up to it and, and take a different path. Just finally, if people listening are interested in finding out more about Lock the Gate and some of the things that you've been talking about, where can they go for to get information? Well, our website is www.lockthegate.org.au, um, but there's also you know websites for the Plan to Grow um, campaign and for the Protect Country Alliance in NT, which you should be able to find by um, you know typing those campaigns into your search engine. 
that's probably the best way to stay in touch. Um, I mean, we try and keep our supporters updated about our campaigns across the country um, as much as we can on our Facebook page and, and by email and phone. So hopefully people, you know, sign up via those websites and, and have a look at our Facebook page. They should be able to, to stay in touch and get involved. That was Georgina Woods. She's the coordinator and spokesperson for the Lock the Gate Alliance in New South Wales. Links to all the campaigns mentioned in our chat will be on the 3CR Dirt Radio website, along with a podcast of this show. That's all from us this week. Dirt Radio is part of Friends of the Earth here in Melbourne, and we'll be back again next Tuesday at 9.30. Let's go out with this track from Leo Sayer and the Aussies Against Fracking.
Tell the one where the ancestors 